Okay, so my name is Simon Pennington. I work for a company called More Partnership. I'm going to talk today a little bit about the importance of measurement and benchmarking um, in advancement. Uh, when we started out in the UK, maybe about 20, 25 years ago, um, when I was a young development director at UCL in London, uh, there was this sense among the peer group that existed at that time that we needed to um, understand how we were doing, measure the performance that we were creating, uh, see where we were strong and see where we could improve. So measure what we were doing and benchmark against organizations that were like us. Because uh, all of us were starting out and were keen to learn and keen to improve. And so we agreed early on, get data, count data and share it. And in time, that actually enabled us to unlock UK government support through a match fund, which happened during the middle of the 2000s and really lifted up uh, the um, performance of advancement in the UK. If you measure and you uh, count numbers, it also is going to help um, with the credibility of the advancement function with your council, with your trustees, with your academic board and academic colleagues and with council members and volunteers these people are they want to understand that you're on top of the things that you're doing that you're driving performance upwards that you understand what's working and what's not so what might you uh what might you count as you start out on the advancement journey well some fairly obvious uh places to start i guess you're going to count the amount of money that you raise and that would probably break into two um, types of counting. First of all, the pledges that you bring in. So these are promises of support, firm written promises of support, but it may be that the money is going to come in over a period of time and you would count that whole amount of money that's promised at the start. So if I promise to give somebody $100,000 over the course of five years, $20,000 a year, I would count as a pledge that full 100000 I would also want to count the income coming in, the money actually banked by the university year on year. So when I make my first payment on that pledge of 20,000, 20,000 is counted as income. And typically uh, we would count both pledges and income coming in during the, over the uh, period of an advancement year and measure it year by year. The importance of counting pledges or promises is that that money is guaranteed to come in and the work that um, has been required to achieve it has been done. And even if development and advancement didn't continue, that, that money would, would still come in, the donors would still be expected to give it. So we count pledges, we count income. We want to count the cost of raising the money as well. So staff salaries and any non-staff costs that go alongside those. And if you add up the income coming in and the cost that it is required to um, deliver it, you then can uh, work out what we call the return on investment. So if I raise $100,000 in year one and it's cost me $20,000 to raise it, and the return is five times uh, the cost, so the ratio of uh, return on investment is five to one. This is one of the key benchmarks and measurements, I guess, that, um, uh, that council members and other uh, institutional leaders will look at when they think about whether advancement is worth um is worth paying attention to and investing in and, and a return of around four to one or five to one has over time in the uk and in north america that's settled down as being a a, a, a rough 
um, a median or average uh, of return in, in higher education advancement. So it's a pretty um, it's a pretty profitable thing to do. You'd also want to measure one or two other uh, elements of your advancement work. So it's helpful to know staff numbers, and that would include both um, frontline fundraisers who are actually involved in delivering the money, uh, but also alumni relations staff and others who um, support the advancement program in, in advancement services. So working on gift recording, information management, uh, working on prospect research, working on uh, the administration that, that runs events and, and, and manages the support for the, for the, for the fundraising um, function. You'd also want to count your numbers of donors in total and if you can, also numbers of alumni that the university has worldwide. And if you can count the numbers of alumni who are giving as a proportion of the total uh, uh, alumni population, you can derive what we call in the business the participation rate. This is the proportion of alumni who are giving in any one year. So if you have 100,000 alumni worldwide and you can get 1,000 of them to give in a single year, that's a 1% participation rate. And again, universities pay quite a lot of attention to pushing that up year on year. The expectation being that if you can build a culture of giving and that if you get a big critical mass of people supporting the university year on year, that will be best for the long-term health of the university. Those people will start to give very, very consistently and regularly. When they become wealthy, they're more likely to be larger donors at the end of their lives, they're more likely to make, uh, make bequests to the university. So driving up the participation numbers is seen as a, a definite benchmark for success. So to count all of that, um, pledges and income, cost, return on investment, staff numbers, donor numbers, participation rate, you will need um, some technical infrastructure. This has been uh, this has developed uh, more quickly in some African countries than others. We've seen the DevMan system in South Africa has really uh, sort of taken root and blossomed, and that's now being used um, very um, effectively in a lot of universities to understand and measure performance and drive it upwards. In the work I've done in West Africa, uh, it is less common to find database systems that are in place and alumni records that have been migrated to them. So I have been saying for quite a lot of years now, I think... Um, it's most likely that advancement will take root once those databases are in place, once records are added to them, and once we can measure some of this um, uh, uh, fundraising performance. And once you've got some of those numbers, the other things that uh, I think I would recommend that you do would be to identify uh, organizations, universities that have similar features to you, to yours, uh, and start to compare your performance against theirs because the chances are that there'll be, there may be some things that, that others are doing more effectively than you and some things that you're doing more effectively from them. And if you can learn what's worked in driving success on a giving day or bringing a lot of people back to give through an event or delivering a major gift from an international foundation, then you'd want to have that knowledge really. And mostly, in my experience, universities are not, competitive in, in this space mostly their alumni are all their own and donors um, professional donors international donors for example will give to different institutions based on their merits so it's not as though um, 
if Ibarden gets something, Lagos won't. And if Lagos gets something, Ibarden won't. So there's, in my view, there's every incentive actually to share knowledge, share understanding and use measurement and benchmarking to progressively improve the performance of the advancement function. During our conversation with Simon, we also talked about how benchmarking got started in the UK. He talked about how universities recognised that they had common interests that they could promote by working together. At UCL, early on, my predecessor had a, um, who's now a colleague at Moore, we had a very positive um, relationship with the university on the other side of London, with King's College. Uh, and these two universities are pretty competitive, uh, um, but... Uh, on a personal level, actually, the development directors would meet and swap notes, and I did the same with um, when I took the reins, and with, when when uh, when my King's colleague also she picked up the reins at around about the same time. And so, within smaller circles, we were conscious that Oxford and Cambridge actually were talking uh, from time to time uh, because they had <clears throat> kind of common interests to promote to governments and other places. So there were little, if you like. Um, smaller clusters of um, institutions that understood it would be better actually to work together and to talk, um, even if you were sharing stuff informally, than to just put the walls up and say, uh, you know, no, this is private confidential business. We're not going to share what we're doing. My, and, uh, and since I've become a consultant, I've seen this up close because I have worked uh, very, very intensively with um, uh, Oxford uh, over the past 10 or 15 years. And in the first um, phase of that work, we were collecting data from all of Oxford's colleges, nearly 40 colleges. And there was huge sensitivity around um, their performance, whether whether if, if it was public, the that you know, the head of one college would look at another college and think, well, they're doing better than us. I got to get rid of my fundraiser, or you know, why is it that we're not shaping up? And we had to very delicately over time have them understand that actually, if you share data, it's not that the walls are going to fall in, that it's a confident step to say, uh, actually, we want to be public about how we're doing and we want to identify areas where we can learn. And by the time we finished that project in Oxford, uh, we had only a handful of colleges that insisted on remaining anonymous. And in all honesty, sort of several of those were the ones that were not really performing all that, all that well. So we got 30 plus that said, yep, we can see the benefits of declaring what it is we're doing, uh, working out how we can do better and spotting individual institutions that seem to be representing best practice in participation rates or in delivering major gifts or in legacy fundraising so we can we can go talk to those institutions about how it is they learn to do that and so in answer to your questions there's a little bit of a baby step sometimes but it has been a concern to me i guess that this appears to be across africa that there's been a, a reticence to to share data it's broken down somewhat in south africa now that there is more effective sharing among some of the leading universities and that's that's a really encouraging sign. We have to understand, I think, that if we do this successfully, it's not that we um, compete for uh, slices of a cake that doesn't change, that I get a little bit of a bigger slice and King's gets a smaller slice or the other way around, is that if we do this properly and we do this successfully, the cake grows. So new donors come on stream and they're inspired and learn 
to do more over time. Uh, new wealth is created, and new uh, and donors who are already giving feel good and go and, and are prepared to give both more to the organisations that they're already supporting and to new organisations. We I see this a lot in my work in Australia, where there, there was also a little bit of caution around sharing data in the early days, going back more than 10 years ago now. In the last five years, we see a complete explosion of Australian philanthropy and almost month by month and quarter by quarter, new records being set, the size of individual gifts, gifts of $100 million from individuals that would have been unheard of a decade ago. And it's partly because these institutions have taken a more confident line. So I understand that the concern may be that you've got a handful of big multinational companies and if you share your relationship with them that there's a risk that it gets um, taken by somebody else but uh, actually those companies will want to forge relationships with different institutions there will be competitors to those multinational companies that will want to um, take different relationships with different universities that if you do this successfully the whole philanthropic pie or cake will grow a little bit and um, and that the evidence in the UK, in Australia, in the US is that actually being confident, sharing data, understanding best practice uh, helps you to grow and do better rather than um, disadvantages you.